0: It is our hope that these Bible prophecy updates will not only ready you and steady you for his return, but that they will also encourage you to share the gospel with others in order that the rapture will not be as a thief in the night. In our uncertain times that we live in today, sometimes it can be difficult to find hope. Maybe you are struggling with past decisions, or maybe you feel like there's nowhere to turn. In today's Prophecy Update, Pastor J.D. explains that the only way to find everlasting hope is through Jesus. Let Him into your life and be rejuvenated. Now, don't forget to stay with us after today's Prophecy Update to learn how you can become a Facebook friend or watch the weekly Prophecy Update at jdfarag.org. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's Prophecy Update as shared on April 9th, 2023. Let's begin.
1: I hope and pray that the Prophecy Update today will be a blessing and an encouragement to you, especially for those who are discouraged and struggling and just really need hope and encouragement. So, as I inquired of the Lord concerning today's update I sensed that he was sort of redirecting my heart back to one of the most, if not the most, powerful prophecies in all of the Bible, the Passover prophecy. And this because the fulfillment of this prior prophetic event points to the ultimate fulfillment of the final prophetic event which is literally about to happen at any time now. And this final prophetic event that I'm speaking of is none other than the end of the age which is preceded by the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, then the commencement of the seven-year tribulation, and subsequent second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the seven-year tribulation. This is the final prophetic event on God's prophetic clock. If you'll kindly allow me to, I'll explain from prophecy in the Bible both how it is and why it is that we are now on the cusp of this final prophetic event. Simply put, prophecies fulfilled in the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ at His first coming point to the nearness of the rapture and subsequent second coming. Now, (laughs) hear me out on this, please. Uh, Please know that I'm keenly aware of those who, on one side believe that we're already in the tribulation. And those on the other side, I'm sorry if I'm pointing at you. I'm not pointing at you. I'm just pointing at you. So maybe I just need to keep looking down. So you've got those on one side believing we're already in the tribulation. And then you have people on the other side who believe that we're going to be around for generations before the tribulation. Thankfully, neither are true. Spoiler alert. (laughs) And as we're about to see in the Word of God, from the God of the Word, we can know that we are at the end of this age, at this time in human history. And the reason is, is because God does not want us to be ignorant concerning Bible prophecy. Replete throughout the pages of Holy Writ, you'll read where God says, I want you to know what's going to happen before it happens, so when it happens or begins to happen, you'll believe that I am the I am. And believers will look up and lift up their heads because your redemption draws nigh. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to know. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be watching. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. Oh, I feel better. I was kind of, maybe I had to get that off my chest. I want to begin with the very first prophecy in the Bible found in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. This is not only the first prophecy in the Bible, so too is it the first mention of the gospel, the good news of salvation in the Bible. Actually, Genesis sums it up in three ways in the first three chapters with the creation of man, the sin of man, and the redemption of man. Genesis 3.15. Now, God is pronouncing a curse on the serpent in the garden after He has just deceived Eve, and they've partaken of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the curse now for the serpent is verse 15 of Genesis 3, where God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Stop right there. That is a prophecy of the virgin birth. What do you mean? Women don't have seed. They have egg. Is this too, I don't want to give you a reproductive anatomy teaching here, but right? The woman has the egg, the man has the seed, so her seed means virgin birth. Prophecy number one. Prophecy number two, all wrapped up, packaged together in just this one verse, which is why it's often referred to as the proto-evangelium, which is a word that makes me sound smarter than I really am. Basically proto-first evangelium, the evangelical, the first gospel. The first time the gospel is mentioned, the principle of first mention, and it's right here in the first book of the Bible. It's a prophecy about Jesus. In fact, Genesis 1-1, all the way through, is all about Jesus. It points to the person of Jesus Christ. So, here, right out of the shoe, we have a prophecy of the virgin birth. Now, watch this. He, the Savior, the seed of the woman, the virgin birth of the Savior of the world, He, shall bruise, crush your head. That is a prophecy of the coming resurrection. And you, serpent, shall bruise, strike his heel. That is a prophecy of the crucifixion. Did you get that? How cool is that? We got the prophecy about all of it all wrapped up together in just this one verse, Genesis 3.15. Now, let's fast forward from Genesis 3.15 to John 3.16. We've all heard of this verse, right? I think you would agree it is the most well-known verse in all of the Bible. However, and I know this is deeply profound, But verses 14 and 15 come before verse 16. Again, I know that's deeply profound. That's the most profound thing I have, so there you go. Uh, Wait, what's in verses 14 and 15? I'm so glad you asked. Jesus is speaking and says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now verse 16, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, why am I emphasizing this? Why is this important? Again, I'm very glad you asked. Because this clearly rises to the level of Jesus referencing it in the context of the most well-known verse in all of the Bible. So the question becomes, What happened in the wilderness with Moses that Jesus, the Savior of the world, would refer to it in this context? And for the answer, we need look no further than at the book of Numbers, chapter 21, beginning in verse 4. Here's the account. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Ooh, you mean the manna? Yeah. uh you mean the manna that God miraculously provides every day, the bread of life, which is a picture of Jesus the Christ as the bread of life? That, that manna? Yeah. So what's the Lord's response? Verse 6. <laughs> so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we're sorry. No, yeah, that doesn't, that's actually in the J.D.V., sorry. that's uh, Let's get back to the original. We have sinned, you think? For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. So Moses, this isn't the first time, prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So, verse 9, Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Okay, what's your point? Well, this serpent on the pole was not only referenced by Jesus, it also paints a powerful prophetic picture of salvation found in Jesus. I'm going to just go through this quickly. But just as with the serpent on the pole the serpent got Eve to look upon another tree, another pole. As with the Christ on the cross, Jesus would have us but look upon him who is lifted up on the cross. Because you have to understand, and we'll see this more in a moment, that it was in the shape of a cross. The serpent is a picture, a type of sin and Jesus died as payment for us, and he took upon him the sin of mankind. Bronze, a very interesting detail, is the medal of judgment. Silver betrayal, gold deity, bronze judgment. And Jesus took the judgment upon himself instead of us and for us. Now, this bronze snake that Moses, by faith, is commanded to make in order to heal and save the people is put, lifted up, and put on that pole in the shape of a cross, just as Jesus was lifted up, put on that cross, and judged for our sin. So, again, in the shape of a cross, and everything, by the way, throughout the Old Testament is a picture of this Roman cross before there was ever a Roman cross. Even the example, and we'll see this again in a moment, but even the priests in the tabernacle and subsequently the temple, everything, the wave offering, uh, up, down, left, right, shape of a cross. The pole, Moses, take this bronze snake, a picture of sin, judgment, put it on this cross before there was ever such a thing as crucifixion and the cross. The snake was, now watch this, this is so amazing. (laughs) The snake was horizontal on a vertical pole. Okay? Jesus, fully man horizontal, and fully God-vertical, restores us to God, fulfilling the law, the Ten Commandments, the first five of which are vertical, and the second horizontal, the shape of a cross. Did you ever see the Ten Commandments that way? That's what they were, a foreshadow, a type of the coming Savior of the world, who would fulfill that law, instead of us for us. Because we can't. I know it, it might jam your gears, but never think for a second that the Ten Commandments were ever given to us for us to keep. How's that working out for you? Uh, I broke all ten of them I've even created some more on top of the 10. I can email you the list. I won't. So, well then, what was it given to us for? To show us, us, as God sees us. The law is a mirror. (laughs) The law of God, the Word of God is a mirror that shows us, us in our true condition. So what am I seeing in the mirror? That's, as you get older, mirrors are not your friends. <laughs> so you see in the mirror your true condition, which is why you make all the changes. Well, oh, by the way, you all look marvelous today. But you got this, you, you see yourself. What do you see in the mirror of God's law? You're a sinner, 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 <laughs> times 10. You need a Savior, you need a Savior, you need a Savior, you need a Savior. And here comes the Holy Spirit, like that tutor, that, that schoolmaster that takes you by the hand from the law that you've broken, and takes you to the Savior who fulfilled it. And you're saved. This was the only way to be saved, healed. Can you imagine? You're an Israelite, and uncles, and aunties, and brothers, and sisters. <laughs> they're all getting bit by this thing, and and they're dying. You're going, whoa! What's up with this? You're like Moses, do something, pray. And Moses prays. That to me is because I don't know if I would have. I would have said, I'll get around to it. Just uh, you need, you guys. You, oh, you come to me now. You weren't saying that before, the snakes. And, oh, now you want me to pray. Anyway, that's just me. I, come on, you would have done the same thing. So don't look at me all spiritual and everything. So imagine you're one of the Israelites, and this is happening. And this happened, by the way. And Moses makes this bronze snake, puts it on this pole in the shape of a cross, and says, you want to be healed? You want to be saved? All you have to do is look upon that. You're going, what? No, what's the catch? You're telling me that all i got to do, by faith, is look upon that pole with that bronze serpent, and I'll be healed, and I'll be saved. And that's the only way. It's the only way. So, too, with Jesus, there's no way to the Father except through Him. He's the door, the only door, the only way, the truth, and the life. The serpent on the pole became an idolatrous symbol. For those of you that have been with us in our study through the Old Testament, this was a form of idolatry. They made an idol out of this thing. And so, too, modern day, Do you realize that the modern day symbol for the medical community is a corrupted idolatrous version of this pole with the snake, except there's like two snakes, and except that it's not actually uh, a biblical symbol of the cross of Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross of Jesus Christ. It is a false god, an idolatrous false god, and the worship of the science god, not the god of science. And we've talked about that ad infinitum for quite some time now. This is one of many examples of how everything in the Old Testament points to the fulfillment of prophecy in the New Testament. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the most fascinating prophecies in this regard, the aforementioned Passover prophecy would have to be it, and here's why. It's a prophecy pointing to and fulfilled by Jesus Christ vis-a-vis the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Feast of Passover. So it's the first of seven feasts, and interesting word for feasts in the original language of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's the same word in my nat- native tongue of Arabic. It's the word mo'ad. And mo'ad carries with it the idea of a sign pointed to an appointed time or an appointment to be fulfilled yet future. Well, let me see if I can maybe illustrate it. So if I were to say to you in Arabic, ana andi mu'ad ma'akum, I have just said that I have an appointment with you. There's an appointed time set that this mu'ad points to. So it's a sign. Here's another example you're in town, you see a sign in Honolulu, says Kaneohe, 13 miles. That is a sign that points you to your final destination, specifically 47525 Kamehameha Highway in Kaneohe. Anyway, so that sign now becomes, in a sense, a mo'ad, because it's pointing you to your destination. And that's what these feasts were. Signs, moads, pointing to Jesus the Christ, who in his destination coming to earth would fulfill that which these pointed to.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor JD. Some of what you've heard today may have encouraged you in your faith, And at times, it may have brought up more questions that you would like answered. If you're wanting to get in touch with us, go to jdfarag.org and find the contact link at the bottom of the page. That's jdfarag.org. There, you can let us know some of the questions you might have, and we'll get back to you and try to answer those questions as best we can. While you're on our website, feel free to check out additional teachings from Pastor J.D., If what Pastor Diddy shared today has you really confused about what it means to know Jesus and life beyond this life, there's a resource for you that might be helpful. At jdfarag.org, find the ABCs tab. This will walk you through what it means to have a saving knowledge of Jesus and what that means for you going forward. Once again, our website is jdfarag.org.